Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Tech and E-Commerce podcast. I am your host, Andre Palamario, and I am the APEC Director for Elkhart Global Executive Search. Our mission is to connect the tech in supply chain and e-commerce ecosystem in Asia and globally by bringing forward some of the most interesting stories about success and failure from leaders in the industry. It is my pleasure to have with us today Stefan Zieber, the CEO of Transporium. Since 12 November 2019, Stefan has been the CEO of Transporium and his professional focus has always been to use his wealth of experience to help organizations grow. Today we talk about everything from how the COVID situation has impacted supply chains, the logistics and all the operations that come with it, how Transporium has grown into a network of more than 1,300 industrial companies, 100 large retailers, and 145,000 carriers. How he and the team manage acquisitions and how important it is for uh, Stefan to build a strong culture focused on building strong teams that work and gel well together. Please enjoy. Hello Stefan, it's so great to see you again after uh, a few years. This is the second time on the podcast. I'm very happy to see you and have you here. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me again, Andre. It's good to see you again. It's been a tumultuous two years, ups and downs. We've seen a lot of things changing and happening. And I just wanted you to, to maybe share the biggest achievement that happened, how you manage all these big challenges, both inside the organization and outside. How, how have the, the last two years impacted Transforian and you as the CEO? Yeah, I'm happy to share. I mean, you know, I think we've we've achieved quite a lot in those, you know, what is it, two and a half years, I guess, almost. And it's been two and a half interesting years, as you said, right? And I think we as a team, we became a lot more international and, and also our culture has changed a lot. We became more innovative, more curious, I think also more courageous to test and try things out. And I think this is what is needed, right? What actually made my life quite easy is, or easier is that we as a company have continued to deliver pretty strong results to our customers, but also to our shareholders. And that's always easier to be the CEO of an organization that is performing. And overall, I feel as an organization, we have been growing tremendously. So many new things we've learned, just so many new things we need to We needed to figure out like new ways of working, resilience, dealing with a lot of ambiguity. And, you know, I I said from that point of view, we could say we didn't let the single crisis go to waste, right? We Mm. we did really take the learning opportunity for us as an organization out. And that is what I think I'm most proud of, that despite all the unpredictable, unplannable things that we kept delivering, we kept performing, and we grew as an organization. And like you said, it's a big thing to use crises and, and turn them on their head and say, yeah, this might be a crisis, but let's use the opportunity that comes with it. And if you were to look ahead, right, we are now seeing other challenges coming in the supply chain world. And there's a lot of disruptions on, on other areas. You know, pandemic was a big one, but now there's smaller or bigger ones. How do you see the company in, in the next two to three years? What's, what's your vision for the company? Yeah, you know, we discussed this in our quick pre-chat that, you know, yes. everything that we have seen in the last, or many things that we have seen in the last two to three years are 
curses and blessings for our industry at the same time. And I think the, the understanding, the acceptance that logistics, transportation and supply chain management can just not continue exactly in the same way we did it in the past has, has certainly grown. Now, we use this time as a company to really build this comprehensive transportation management platform. So you need to think about this digital backbone for the industry that is available for everybody. Shippers, load recipients, logistics service providers, carriers. And that helps all of these parties to digitalize their own business and, and benefit from collaboration opportunities, from data and from constant real-time insights into markets, into transport capacity, into payments related to transports, but of course also into ETA and whatever you have, right? And I truly believe that this is what is needed to fix transportation, because I think it is still broken in many ways, and in the last two, three years have, in essence, shown us how dependent we are. I just think that you know, the planet doesn't have enough resources for us to continue to deal with transportation in such a wasteful way. And that's true economically, but increasingly also ecologically. And, and I think that Transporion can and will play a super strong role, as, as we say in our purpose statement, in bringing transportation in sync with the world. And you touch on, on a few important aspects. I mean, the circular economy and making sure we don't just waste everything and, and not leave anything else for, for our children is a big, big one. And the industry has a big carbon footprint overall. But I was wondering, uh, Stefan, so in order to build this platform that the backbone is collaboration, but it needs so many interesting pieces, right? ETAs, track and trace, TMS, the WMS, a lot of them. You've done quite a few acquisitions in the last few years, and I'm sure you're looking at the others to come. How do you, how do you manage? How, what's your way of making sure once you acquire a company, it feels like part of the Transporian family? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question, because I guess you know, we all know that acquisitions are complex. And you know, I think that the, the one thing that really helped us is that we only acquired companies that really fit to us. So, you know, we didn't acquire anything. So, so the main reason for us acquiring is it did allow us to do something that we wanted to do anyway, a lot faster. So from that point of view, you could say there is a strong fit between the beliefs and the convictions and the purpose of the, of the, the companies we acquired and, and of us as an acquirer. Of course, there is also a few prerequisites that we have on a technology side, right? We only want a 100% cloud companies, but those are probably the more simple aspects, right? The challenging aspects are really the cultural alignment. And, and, and I always say, you know, we need a shared purpose and we need shared values. And purpose and value are, are sort of the two, and values are sort of the two elements that need to be strong enough for us to overcome the many daily imperfections that we are confronted with. Because the day, the normal day, isn't perfect, right? We notice there are loads of smaller and bigger hiccups. But if you have a shared purpose, if you have shared beliefs on what you're doing and why you exist and why you're here and, and shared values and how you deal with each other, and how you treat each other, then, then you, can, you can overcome this. And, and I'm so far actually very happy and proud that you know, 
pretty much all the teams from CEOs to developers to salespeople of the acquired companies stayed with us. And, and many of them actually do play very important roles in our organization. And we, we've acquired a few brilliant entrepreneurs and, and, and great, you know, courageous leaders that we also want to use for our organization to bring in that spirit and that momentum. I think, like you said, bringing somebody together on the same family can happen only, only if you have the same values and principles. And you have to have that as a prerequisite. Looking at the industry, Stefan, right? There's a lot happening and I'm sure many more things will, will give us headaches, but you interact with a lot of clients. Everybody has their own issues. Can you put together, have you seen certain trends that are happening? And of course, when I say trends is what's happening operationally, but how can you connect this with the tech and with the product that you're offering? How do you, would you describe the trends happening at the moment? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you know, there's always a split and I think you need to differentiate between, as I say, on the micro and on the macro level, right? On the micro mm-hmm. level, I think everybody is confronted with daily operations, right? We need to keep the supply chains going and that hasn't been always particularly easy, specifically in the last few years. So on a micro level, I think everybody is still talking about capacity, transparency and price, depending on where the market dynamic is, right? If, it, if it's a tight market, then People are more concerned about capacity. If it's a loose market, they're sort of trying to catch a falling knife and try to get better prices. And, and everybody, everybody would like to have more transparency and, and, and more sort of visibility into the supply chains. But on the macro level, I think there are a few trends where you know, we also try to sort of deliver and provide solutions to our customers that are resulting of in many cases a combination of different applications that we are solving that, that we are serve, that we are offering and i would say there are mainly mainly three things the first one is sort of the right sourcing strategy right from own assets to everything in the spot market where in between do you sort of develop your portfolio of transport capacity and transport services that you procure as a shipper but equally, as a, as a carrier or as a logistics service provider, how do you build your, your offering, right? How, how is your sourcing strategy looking like? How much do you have on your own balance sheet? How much do you have as fixed charter? And how much do you as a logistics service provider also acquire on the daily spot market? And that is, in my opinion, resulting in a more complex and more in a wider partner network that you need to manage, right? And that's sort of the second trend that I see is that, you know, everybody is sort of, you know, thinking about how can I manage my partner network in an efficient way? How can I, with this partner network, achieve the right levels of supply chain resilience and quality at reasonable cost, right? And then the third theme or trend is, is in my opinion, absolutely sustainability. This has really like, you know, when you, when you think back the last, I don't know, decades, centuries, we've been managing supply chains and transportation predominantly along two KPIs. Quality, defined as predictability and reliability and punctuality, etc., and cost, right? Those were, in essence, two KPIs we've looked at. And now there is a third KPI coming into the mix, which makes the equation, in my opinion, a lot more complex 
And that's good, right? Because, you know, us really thinking hard about becoming more sustainable is good. And it's also good that the game gets complex because, you know, digital platforms can solve complexity better than anything else. So, you know, that's, that's why for us as Transporion, sustainability is a big market and is a big opportunity where, where we feel we can really differentiate and where we can really create value for our customers. And talking about sustainability, how would the customer use Transporion to make their operations better or more efficient and safer for the environment? How does that work? What's the product like? So, so I'll give you a, a little bit of a history on sort of our sustainability efforts. It started in, in a strategy discussion a long time ago, right, right after I joined or shortly after I joined in sort of the first strategy workshop we had. And back then, we sort of had this notion that, hey, you know, there is sustainability in everything we do, right? Because if we, if we offer a spot market tool that allows the transportation market to come into, into its equilibrium faster and more efficient, then that contributes to a reduction of empty runs. And, and you could argue that there is a sustainability value proposition in this. But then we also realized that actually the awareness is not yet where it should be. And we thought it's also not yet, or it was not, not then at the level it should be. And we felt we need to do more. So what we did is we initially started with a hackathon where we invited mm-hmm. employees from our company, but also students from two partner universities, one being the CUNY Logistics University in Hamburg, who you know, we're, we're really partnering with for now, in the meantime, many years in this topic to compete around five sustainability challenges and come up with product ideas. And then we picked three of them and we actually gave three teams a six months incubation coaching to develop a product out of their idea. And the first one that hit the market was carbon visibility. It's a product Mm -hmm. we've launched at the back end of 20, uh, I, I always mix up the years, I think at the back end of 2021, yeah. And, and what it does, it's, it's a relatively simple tool that takes modeled data, that takes data from our platform and then modeled calculation to calculate carbon footprint. When we made this available to our customers, we you know, completed the beta phase in July and we basically made it available for everybody on our platform. We just activated it. It's, it's sort of included in our offering and for all the Transporion transports, the transports on our platform, you immediately get a model data calculation. But we've also realized that, you know, the model is, is good to some extent, right? It provides you some level of accuracy, but if you want to really reduce, well, first of all, get more accurate data. And we're talking about differences like from default data, you know, to primary data, it can easily be factor 10. Right? Mm-hmm. We've done a use case with a large food processor here in, in Europe, Danish company, and, and we've looked at one euro pallet and the level of CO2 emission that is being calculated for shipping one euro pallet. With default data, we came to roughly 650 milligrams because we're lacking a lot of data. We just know it's a pallet and there is probably one ton of, of weight and that's it. And it goes from A to B. But the more we add about transport mode, about you know, routes driven about, you know, even down to fuel consumption, if you really have primary data, you can reduce that down to something like 50, 54 grams. So there's a massive, a massive difference. And 
So, so you need to get more accurate. Customers want to be more accurate. And you also need to have more primary data in order to understand of whether your measures, the decisions you take are really impacting the carbon consumption or the carbon emission. And that's also why, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we've announced the acquisition of Prax, who is a mm-hmm. small Berlin-based startup that we were, you know, able to, Jakob and, and, and Igor, the two founders that we were able to convince to join us because they, they bring us this expertise in dealing with primary data and not only measuring what's happening, but also measuring a more accurate form and give ourselves an opportunity to set reduction targets and see how we progress against it. So on this platform of carbon intelligence, as we call it, you can then build green products like green dispatching, like green assignment, like green tendering. So you can then start to build execution products that keep CO2 as an objective and as a target in mind and, and, and give again, and that's also, again, a, you know, a, a good example for our platform, the different players in the network. Is it a carrier? Is it a logistics service provider or a shipper, a tool to execute their job in a more sustainable, more sustainable way? Mm. And I was wondering, so from the client side, this sustainability theme and idea is becoming more stringent. I mean, I think even from the consumer, because most things start from the consumer, they are more conscious of this. It trickles down or upstream to the manufacturer, or yeah, to everybody, including the brands and the manufacturers. Other than the sustainability product, right? Are there certain aspects of Transporian that clients want or are asking you more about? Is it the, I don't know, better ETAs? Is it better efficiency? I don't know. Is it the TMS side that is getting more, more focused right now? Or how, how would you describe so, so, the So the success of carbon, carbon visibility was indeed overwhelming. We had, without a lot of work and marketing efforts, we had 86 I think 86 or 87 shipper clients. We did the, pay, the beta only with, with, uh, with shipper, shippers. We had 86 or 87 shippers joining that beta phase. And, and there were like some like super cool and great, great brands in this group. But next to Carbon, you know, overall, we've seen, we've seen definitely a lot of demand for any form of spot procurement. I would say it is, of course, also driven and it was driven by the market dynamics, tight market, you know, a lot of, a lot of volatility, uh, borders that were closed and containers that were stuck and, and you name it. And within spot, particularly the autonomous procurement version of our spot product. So the version mm-hmm. of the spot product where we basically take out almost any manual effort, where we work with price determination algorithms and where we also use behavioral science on, on the service provider side to try to find out what's the right load at the right price for the right carrier at the right time. And and we have in the meantime, a decent amount of customers, large customers that are using this and that are achieving great results with it. So that that definitely has been, you know, a strong, strong theme over the last 18, 24 months. And then we also launched Transporion Insights, which is sort of a, a benchmarking tool, data analytics, uh, market analytics, market intelligence tool that has also seen a huge traction and a very rapid adoption in the market. We're now, 
evolving into offering a rate on demand, evolving into offering a full TCO, total cost of ownership model. So again, it's a tool that the whole network can use, shippers, carriers, logistics service providers equally. And it just allows them to understand the market better. Now, we are, of course, combining these tools, right? I, I talked about how we, how we are developing a green assignment, but we can also bring in rate on demand. We can, with this, really provide a comprehensive transport execution and transportation management platform that can factor in you know, all the KPIs and the metrics that matter for a given company, right? Is it a carrier that offers something? Is it a shipper that procures something? And, and I think that combination of different tools is probably the third theme and, and, and trend that I have seen and that we are seeing at the moment. And when you have so many products, I wonder when somebody asks, how can you describe transporting in, in an elevator pitch or in, in a quick sentence paragraph? Because it, it's quite not easy to, to put everything in the same basket and, and tell everybody what you're doing. What's the best way to, to tell somebody oh, this is transport? <laughs> so we're a transportation management platform. We solve freight problems where they actually occur in between companies and not inside single companies. I think that's a big difference between us and I'd say traditional B2B mm. tech providers. And in essence, the freight problems or the transportation problems we are solving are covering 360 degrees of a freight transaction. From finding the right partners to engaging the right partners to executing business with them uh, down to settling, paying for the services that have been consumed and receiving the earnings for the services that have been provided, right? And, and that's, in essence, what we do for trucking predominantly. That's our largest market. But in the meantime, also with the growing footprint in intermodal, multimodal ocean transportation. So the next step of development is going more on multimodal ocean. I don't know if air is, is there as well or how, how do you see it? You know, at the moment, we predominantly, given from where we start, right, it's for us a lot intermodality. So any road end combination, so road and rail, road and barges, but also the combination of ocean and road, predominantly mm -hmm. coming from the angle of pre and post haulage. But like over the last two years, ocean has gained such a big importance for many players that this is also an area that at least from a planning and visibility perspective, we needed to cover and we are covering. The air cargo market is still, in, in my opinion, slightly different in its structure, right? And the way you book air cargo, air freight capacity is, is still different than the way you normally book trucking or ocean or rail capacity. And I think this is you know, also a very a smaller and a very specific market. We do offer, of course, market intelligence services. We do offer visibility services for air cargo, but we don't, we don't offer a booking capability for air cargo capacity at this moment. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I think there's a lot of products that you already have to make sure work properly. So it's just a matter of time. To, to, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and then also, yeah. and then also you're right. As a company, you also need to ask yourself, like, who are your customers and who can you really satisfy? Right. With our origin, 
where we come from, right? We we deal a lot with companies that ship goods, receive or ship goods that are not very typical for air cargo. And I think it's also okay to sort of keep a focus on those places where we really can provide superior value and where you also have, you know, an experience and best practices on how you can do that for customers. Mm. And in, uh, in numbers, just on the overview, I think last time we were talking, if I remember correctly, there were quite a lot, like six figures, uh, carriers, there's a hundred thousand carriers on the platform now. I assume even more. How? What are the big overview numbers that you have on the platform from carriers to, to shippers? And, and, and So we do have about uh, 1,300 shippers, classic mm-hmm. production companies, right? Across actually a quite wide range of, of industries. The biggest industries are, of course, those that, that are skewed towards direct loads, FTL, LTL, FCL, LCL, right? So it's, it's food and beverage and in there, you know, mainly, mainly like not fresh food, but like packaged dry food. It's a lot chemicals, metal, steel, construction material, paper packaging, print. But, but through our expansion into other application spaces and also with this other transport modes, you would also find in the meantime, high-tech and electronics, pharmaceutical in our, in our customer mix. Then we do serve about 100 large retailers with their inbound logistics into the distribution centers. So that's the interesting part where you know, actually we can really build full networks of businesses, right? From aluminum to cans, to beverage, to retail, to waste and recycling. And, and, and I would say that is one side of the network. If you want to think about the network as two-sided, which we all know a network has not two sides, right? But it's like 1,300 shippers, 100 retailers. And then the carrier community grew from roughly 100,000 when I joined to, in the meantime, 145,000. And we're adding about 500 carriers per week to that community. But we're also losing carriers, right? We, on the one side, I mean, there are companies that go out of business, uh, companies that merge. And we sort of try to keep up. So there is a there's a net growth in the carrier community, but that net growth is really a decline mm-hmm. and then an incremental um, increase, right? And I think the carrier community also increased in its variety, right? In the past, you would probably have seen a, a lot of the very traditional FTL, LTL trucking carriers. And, and in the meantime, this has also gotten more multi-mode, multi-purpose, a more multi-mode, multi-purpose community. Mm. No, I mean, that's impressive. And I can only imagine how much you have to, what are the fluctuations that happened in the last two years and how challenging it is to keep up with everything that's happening. And, well, I'm not, I'm not sure if we're keeping up with everything that's happening. But, you know, <laughs> At least on, on, on what you're kidding about. Yeah, I, I, would yeah. say, I would say we take out between, you know, seven to 9,000 carriers per year and then, and then the incremental growth comes mm-hmm. on top, right? So you, this is probably... A little bit there's there's quite quite a lot of dynamics in this. I mean, you know this, right? Your your business is, is dealing with a lot of these transactions when companies merge, when they go out of business, when new companies evolve. It's an interesting market and, and, and there's a lot a lot dynamic in. Mm. 
I wanted also to ask you a bit about the company culture, about you as a CEO, just to, to wrap up with, with this, because I know this is a very important aspect in your life as a leader. How do you see the, the Transforion culture evolving or how has it evolved in the last two years and where is it going? What's your view on this? Yeah. So, so I, I think, as I said on the, on the first question, right, we, we got a lot more international. And when I say international, I probably mm-hmm. need to say more multi, multicultural, right? Our fourth or probably fifth largest location, probably its fifth largest location, is, is Hyderabad in India. Mm. And for a southern German Ulm-based company, well, that's a long way to go, right? <laughs> Um, The second largest largest location, actually pretty much the same size is Krakow in Poland and and, and Kiev in Ukraine. And then we have a strong team also in in Estonia, Tallinn and Tartu. So, you know, this is a very, very different mix of of cultures, of of nationalities. And then through the acquisitions, of course, we also onboard a lot of new cultures, right? And, And I always... I always say that the number one reason for us to acquire is actually culture, is culture and, and, and knowledge. And the knowledge, some part of it comes canned, on, burned on a CD. Well, it's not a CD anymore. It's somewhere, on a, somewhere in the cloud, right? But, but that's knowledge and culture that has been put into an IT product, into a software product, right? And, and that's the number one reason why we acquire. And of course, we also try to, our, to do our utmost to make sure that we, we evolve with our culture and we, we onboard new people that join us either through recruiting, through talent acquisition or through acquisitions, also with their own culture. At the same time, we try to retain and safeguard a few things that we really like about our culture. And, and I would say it's a, it's a very honest, it's a very direct culture, right? I mean, there are some companies that talk about marketing first or engineering first. And, and I sometimes joke about transparentness. This is a no bullshit first company. And, and, and this is something we want to keep up. You know, this is a company where hierarchy doesn't matter that much. You know, I, I do receive a lot of feedback from employees, even if it is sometimes not very pleasant and sometimes it hurts because I do care a lot about the business I'm leading and about the job I'm doing. But that's part of, I think, an important culture that, you know, everybody has equal rights and regardless of job titles and, and hierarchies and whatever other, you know, criteria you could put, you know, this is about this is about us as a company and this is about us as a team. This is not about an individual, it's certainly not about me as a CEO. Mm. I think you already touched on, on my next and last question. How do you know when you're successful as a CEO? But I, I asked you last time, I wanted to ask you today as well. well I, could say, I could say it's very simple. My batch is still working when I come to work in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, I, think, I, think, yeah. I think really employee engagement matters, matters a lot to me, right? And I don't know, probably you follow us on social media, you come across uh, our posts every now and then. And, you know, we, we started, I don't know, one and a half years or something like that to go to give our people yellow sneakers, right? Mm. In the meantime, there is actually a large logistics player in Europe that has even produced light blue sneakers for their employees. Uh, you know, they were a bit bigger than us, so they have the capacity to do it with a logo. 
We just needed to take the standard. We just needed to take the standard stuff, but we gave those yellow sneakers to our to our people in some yellow, you know, hoodies, etc. And 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 for me, actually, when they wear it, right, that means something. That means that they are proud to wear the colors of this company, and most likely, it also says that they are actually quite proud and okay to work for this company. This is what counts, right? This is not about me as a CEO. This is about team. This is about the company. This is about the mandate we have from our customers. And this is about the trust we gain and we have from our shareholders. Personally, right, I, I have a very open collaboration relation to, to, to my team, to pretty much, I would say, everybody in the organization and certainly also to the board. And we treat, we treat each other with a lot of respect. And, and I think respect is something you, you earn and you earn it through performance. You earn it through loyalty, through honesty, through transparency and through professionalism. And that's sort of my feedback that, you know, hopefully I'm not doing a bad job, right? But as I said, this is not about me. This is really about the company and about our customers and about the trust we have from our shareholders. And I'm sure that attitude of, of uh, no no bullshit type of let's communicate like that with, with <laughs> being honest and open. I think that helps a lot. I'm I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Stefan, on on this note, I want to thank you very much. I'm sure in a couple of years we'll we'll hear even more success coming from Transporian. But uh, yeah, I appreciate what you've been doing and good luck. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For all the show notes and information discussed in the episode, please follow elkatglobal.com slash podcast. Also, if you found this interesting, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher or one of the podcast platforms. We are looking forward to your feedback.